place it comfortably. So good morning everyone. Uh, fifth day of session, this is the last Dharma talk I give. Um, we have a half day tomorrow. Um, and usually on this last talk, I talk about how we can integrate our practice back into everyday life, which I'd like to do. But where I'd like to start from is, um, you may remember, um, a loud incident that happened this morning when we were sitting, which is when the garbage truck comes in, you know, and picks up the garbage. And uh, if you've been here many, many times during the session here at Stroud, it's kind of part of the ritual that happens towards the end of the week. We've been sitting here just with the sound of bird song and wind in the trees, you know, and, and then at dawn, on, on Thursday or Friday, the truck rumbles in, this big sort of machine rumbling over the ground um, like some kind of monster out of some dystonian, you know, world out there. And uh, then it picks up the garbage and gobbles up the garbage and goes out again and then peace is restored again. And everyone stops trembling. You know? And um, that happens every, it happens every session. And uh, it kind of reminds us of what we're going back to. <laughs> and one of the things that um, you may reflect on, you know, in being here for a whole week, is that um, this is a, a wildlife reserve and basically, we don't hear any machine noise for a week except the, the distant hum of the cars going past. And then suddenly this truck comes in, this machine comes in with a big noise, you know, to remind us. But that's one of the, one of the wonderful things about being able to take time out from city life and come to the country here to, to sit together. It's like there's no machine noise. And, uh, we're surrounded by that. Um, we live very different lives in the 21st century to what people did, you know, um, pre the, the um, Industrial Revolution. You know, if you think of, you know, English villages or villages in Asia or Japan or whatever, no machine noise anywhere because there wasn't any machines. And uh, people had the opportunity just to be more in touch with the natural sounds and everything. But that is the world we live in, 21st century, post-industrial, technical world. And that's what we go back to. And um, so what we, what we experience here, you know, is a, in a retreat, um, or a session as we call it, is a sense of calm, um, no conflict, um, regular routine, know what we're doing, good food, you know, good people that you're surrounded with. And then we go back into a life which is not like that at all, mm -hmm. um, where there is conflict um, and even on the world stage where there's violence, famine, poverty, um, inequality, mm -hmm. um, conflict, and it's always been there. Um, but we go back to it. And in particular in our life and times, we're going back to a world uh, we have, where we have very, you know, significant um, and disturbing ecological issues like climate change, destruction of wildlife, 
and pollution, you know, which affects all of our lives. So, um, in having dwelled in Nirvana for a, a week, we return to the world of samsara. And so, how do we manage it? You know, and how do we manage that transition? First of all, um, everyone here through their solid practice together has developed a, um, a sense of samadhi, you know, a sort of calmness and being embodied and centred. Um, naturally, it will fade um, as you go into everyday life and you're involved in activity again. So don't try and enjoy it, um, but don't try to hold on to it because it's just a natural thing that it will pass. doesn't mean that you'll go back into necessarily being highly stressed again. Maybe you will. Um, but it's a don't try and hold on to that state of mind. Um, but of course, what's important going back into everyday life is that we keep up um, a regular practice of meditation so that we, stand, we, we cultivate that serenity and centeredness, embodiment in everyday life. It's good to do it with the Sangha, um, where we support each other. Um, so that's the, that's the ground of what we do every day um, to practice. And of course then its application is in um, mindfulness in everyday life. Um, just turning up to be present to everything we do, whether it's drinking a cup of tea or talking to someone or walking down the street, paying your taxes, whatever it is. Um, and then, of course, there's also the importance of, if we go back to the three-legged stool of practices for meditation, it's important to um, continue to practice the precepts, particularly practicing the precepts in um, challenging situations. Because, like I was saying in the beginning, you, you, you can take one practice out of this. You can just practice the precepts, like lay people do in Asia. We can take mindfulness out of whatever. Um, but they all interconnect. So, you, for instance, if you just have a, a meditation practice and you don't really worry about the precepts, then you might start to wonder why your mind doesn't settle very well when you do meditation because you're creating a lot of um, disturbance in your mind and a lot of drama in your mind you know, and a lot of disharmony within your mind um, when, you, when you sit down. So the, the, the practice of precepts is the practice of harmony in the world. And I don't mean by that a, a false harmony where we, we have dishonest harmony. You know, but, um, but it is nevertheless um, cultivating a sense of harmony uh, with others and with life. So if we practice the precepts and we practice meditation, do you know they, there's a feedback loop there, they interact with one another. So that's all important. But what I want to place some emphasis on in this last talk is that last leg of the stool, which is um, the cultivation of spiritual insight, right, and how that actually gets applied in everyday life. Um, as we all know, 
is that the the principles of Zen and of Buddhism is to um, experience an intuitive insight into the fact that everything is impermanent, nothing stays the same, everything's changing, coming together and, and dissolving, and everything is interrelated, uh, interbeing. And when we become intimate with that experience, not just as a, an intellectual theory, but we experience that as we do in, we touch that at some point in meditation, um, if we focus on it in practice. So it's that, that experience of no self. There is, there's me, of course, here. It's me talking in this body. Um, but there's a sense that there's nothing... What the point is, there's nothing inside of me which is fixed or in you. Right? There's nothing in there fixed. There's nothing in there permanent. Right? There's nothing in there that has any solidity. But we're kind of like a pattern of energy that's come together in life. Mm -hmm. That's what we all are. That's what we experience. And so, with the experience of, of no self, it, it cuts through um, self-clinging, pride, arrogance, etc. With it comes humility. And also what comes with it is, is confidence. And it's not the kind of confidence of being better than others or more skilled at something but it's a confidence that grows out of humility, you know, that you are what you are. You know, you're completely who you are and nothing else, and no desire to be anything other than what you are. And out of that comes confidence. But also what I want to emphasise is what also arises out of um, the self-shrinking, as one, one Tibetan teacher said, big self, lots of problems. No self, no problems. Mm -hmm. So it, whether we break through it entirely may be another matter, but what happens with practice is that that sense of ego wears away. And what it leads to in everyday life is the ability to be improvisational. Mm -hmm. So what we think of as, as uh, so it, I mean, if you look at Zen texts and you look at Buddhism and you look at what's um, uh, peculiar or idiosyncratic about Zen, there's a lot of Buddhism which is, as the Bodhidharma said, you know, it's outside of doctrines and words and letters. And when we just sort of have a devotional religion, or we, we worship, or we follow intellectually what's written down. There's nothing improvisational in that at all. It's all set pieces. Yeah. And what you find is distinct about Zen, when you look at it, is that it's improvisational Buddhism. Right? It's not depending on fixed ideas or set pieces at all. It's giving you the insight and the skill to be improvisational in everyday life. And um, I googled what the, what the, what the nature of uh, improvisation is in its theatrical sense. Um, the, the advice is be present, don't worry about what will come, don't worry about the scene before, 
pay attention to what is. Stay out of your head. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Uh And another one said, take risks. Embrace failures. Stop trying to get it right. Uh That's the nature of of improvisation. And um, so if we bring improvisation into our everyday lives, usually when we think of improvisation, even in a theatrical sense, we think of humour um, or we think of, of, of entertaining someone or being a character, but I don't mean it in that way. What I'm talking about is the improvisation of how we interact with our friends, to our neighbours, to you know, our children or our partners on an everyday basis. There's no pre-planned way of doing it. We just allow it to come. Yeah. Um, or how we, we, how we do our work as a manager or as a teacher or a counsellor, whatever it might be. And the nature of learning to be a good improvisational artist, from what I've told, you just don't get up on stage and suddenly you do it. It actually takes a lot of practice um, to, to do improvisation. And in any profession, you know, um, musician or anything like that, it takes a lot of practice before you can actually improvise. It's not just something you, you just do. And um, for, for many years when I teach, when I've been teaching about um, Buddhism and psychotherapy in the modules I teach, that what I emphasise that the way, because people say, well, what's your model of therapy? Like, is it CBT or mindfulness or psychoanalysis and and in response to that I say to people that what I practice is improvisational therapy. You know, I'm not, I know all those models and I've, I've practiced in them um, but when someone comes to see me I don't want to have any preconceived ideas of who they are or what they're going to say or any stereotypes or anything like that. It's just they they start to present something and and then I start to respond in the moment with them. And we just take it wherever it goes. We call that improvisational therapy. And um, interestingly enough, um, Mark Epstein, who some of you may have read his books, who's a, a Buddhist psychiatrist in New York, very well known, um, has just written a book called The Zen of Therapy. And basically what he's talking about is, is being improvisational. Having, having no agenda, just turning up, no mind, and, and see what happens. So improvisation has a lot of practical beneficial skills, you know, in life, like in, in companies and management and so on. And people learn leadership skills, they learn technical skills, but then a crisis comes along, you know, so how, how do you deal with that if you haven't got improvisational skills? But what I want to emphasise in terms of how improvisation is used in a Zen context, um, the whole point of Buddhism, whichever school it is, through seeing into the emptiness of the self, it's not just an existential thing that happens, is that if it's a true experience, we, 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 become uh, reconnected or we, we cultivate 
um, our experience of love and compassion and joy and equanimity, which are referred to as the, the four immeasurables uh, in Buddhism. So it's not just a, an existential experience, it's actually an emotional experience as well for those emotions to actually arise. It's heart and mind, not just mind. And so when we think of how we apply Zen in that improvisational sense in everyday life, it's coming from that place. Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we act improvisationally from love? How do we impact, how do we act improvisationally from um, compassion and from joy and equanimity? That is the way that we use, that's the way that we apply spiritual insight in, in everyday life. So, um, I just want to leave you with a, um, some words um, from the Heart Sutra, which um, I hope may be a reminder for you to um, act in an improvisational way in your everyday life. And they're simple words. Um, Dwelling nowhere, let the mind come forth. Or might I add another version of it while I'm thinking about it? Dwelling nowhere, let the heart come forth.